and welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I'm Stella. We are recording live on Instagram at Luna underscore X2 underscore LLC. And uh, we're headed into a long weekend, which is kind of awesome. It is uh, ridiculously hot in New Mexico. Um, it's funny because, like, we have so many different variations in the weather, like from one day to the next. And um, so, you know, le you'll leave the house, it'll be warm, and then you'll get to your destination and it'll be cloudy. And then you go inside and the air is super cold. You come out, it might be raining, it might be windy. You just never know what you're going to get, which is kind of interesting. Uh, if you don't like the weather, give it 15 minutes and it will change. This week is supposed to be, you know, kind of overcast and rainy. Um, we get monsoons every once in a while, uh, especially in late June, early July. And so I look forward to those because the it smells so good when the rain hits the desert floor. And, um, and those are things that I really enjoy. So I was going to talk about conflict today. I am going to talk about conflict today. And it came up in this, uh, you know, organic way, like most of my podcasts do. I was having a conversation with a friend. Um, and I had, you know, several conversations with other people. And I, we were acknowledging that um, we don't really fight. And that's pretty typical. Uh, and so I was like, are we conflict avoidant or really good at communication? Uh, it turns out we're really good at communication. But for the most part, I identify as a conflict avoidant human. Um, or I have in the past and I'm working on it. Uh, what I know to be true is that my conflict style is very reactive um, and uh, usually fraught with emotion. Um, and that reaction is not always positive. So uh, I work on not, or at least acknowledging the feelings that are happening at the time um, and really recognizing that like a lot of times our anger is a second tier emotion. And what it is doing is it's masking, you know, the other emotions that are like soft and squishy and vulnerable. And I have been aware of the fact <laughs> for a long time, I was reactive and very angry. Um, and I've talked about that here before. It's, it's a whole different thing to now have this awareness of my emotional capacity and what is, is triggering that reactivity. So, I am listening to uh, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. It's a really good book, and I do recommend a lot of Brene Brown books. Um, but it was recommended by someone who was in the workshop, and they were talking about how to identify feelings and that this book is very good at describing emotion on a lot of different levels. And much to Brene's credit, she does a lot of research and uh, really does a good job of describing things, both from her personal experience as well as from a a social work perspective and then a research perspective. So I have a lot of respect for that. Anyway, I'm listening to the book regularly uh, in the morning when I do my run. And there's a lot going on there in terms of identifying, um, you know, your emotion, my emotion, what could be happening, all the things. I was remembering that I, <laughs> I wrote a, a conflict um, or communication skills in, for couples uh, workshop a few years ago. And I wrote down a, a specific portion on conflict. When I work with couples or when I have worked with couples in the past, um, what I like to look at is history. So how they met, what drew them to each other, um, what their conflict style is and uh, what the needs are 
and then, you know, kind of communication skills. And so I had written all these things down and I remembered that I had done that, uh, which was interesting to think about the fact that like in different um, versions of myself and certainly in my career, I have uh, had really good insight on these things. Um, and I want to be really clear, like I know and I, it's brought to my attention often, usually by family members, that this work of identifying codependency and working on codependency skills does not mean that I am healed or fixed or somehow magically no longer codependent. What the, the truth is, is that I am constantly working on these things and, and it doesn't go away. Like I said before, and I've certainly said in the workshop, it's not a, um, it's not a diagnosis because it's not a malady. It's not something that can be fixed. It's something that can be worked on and specific to conflict and conflict avoidance. Um, there's a lot of ingrained behavior that I exhibit and, um, you know, participate in, uh, that I'm working to change every day. So it's not like I, I leave, you know, this little nugget here on the podcast or on a video or on TikTok or whatever, and then it just goes away. Like that's not how any of this works. I am, I am constantly checking myself for, um, appropriate use of skills. And then also, you know, is that a skill that's helping me or is that an old skill or what, what is happening? And so as a human being who has relationships with humans, I am trying to recognize how I show up and then how other people are showing up and then meeting them where they're at. And so oftentimes, especially in my work, I have really utilized the skill of meeting the human being in the room based on what they're going through right now. And certainly we go to the past and look to the past for different um different behaviors or origins of behavior or origins of coping skills. You know, we definitely look at trauma, we look at, um, you know, family of origin things. And so conflict specifically, uh, when I work with couples and certainly for my own um, kind of growth and healing, I look at how conflict was modeled in my home. Uh, and most people fall into two categories. <laughs> um, conflict avoidant aside, there's usually an aggressor and there's usually a runner. And so unless there's two aggressors or two runners, and then that's a whole different thing. Um, in my relationships and, and specific to, to romantic partners, um, I don't usually, I have not, it's not been my experience um, in my marriage to have a lot of fighting. We just didn't fight about things. Uh, we would talk through them, but then we would also do a lot of avoidance. We were both avoidant for the most part. Um, and I shared the story before. But when I got married to my ex-husband, my family kind of pulled him aside and said, are you sure you want to do this? Still is kind of a bitch. Um, and they're not wrong. Like, that's true. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he was just like, well, she's not a bitch to me. So that that was fair. Um, and, you know, we made it 18 years. And uh, a lot of times we wouldn't fight. Um, in my family of origin, my parents were both... Um, you know, they, they had different ways of communicating, especially in a conflict way. Um, and my mom was the aggressor and my dad was the runner. And so a lot of times my mom would have a lot of feelings and be reactive. And then my dad would shut down and leave um, often. And so that was my model for how to do conflict. Um, and I, I do both, right? So I, I've said I'm very reactive and I have a, initial emotions to whatever this the situation is. Um, but I also recognize that oftentimes if I don't feel safe uh, being vulnerable or sharing those emotions, I'll have a reaction and then I'll shut down 
and I'll dip out um, or I'll just hold it in. And so when I'm talking with clients or, or couples, you know, I really have them kind of deep dive into what their conflict style is and then recognize where that model comes from. And then we talk about like what the feelings are underneath that, you know, style of conflict, but also conflict resolution or coming to connection. Oftentimes we are looking at communication to create connection um, and understanding. And when we're initially in relationship, there is a lot of getting to know the other person and also getting to know who you are in relationship at this time. Oftentimes I think, you know, and I talk a lot about the different versions of ourselves and part of that evolution is based on our experiences and the things that we don't have any control over, but it's a stimulus response situation. And so as we continue to live, you know, on the planet, we are exposed to a lot of different things. And then our emotional selves react to those, you know, that information. And so a lot of times we aren't even aware that our conflict style is evolving as things continue to happen. I talk a lot about um, really starting to have an understanding of what the emotions are underneath your initial reaction to whatever anything is. Um, And so for me, recently, uh, I've had, you know, some some situations come up and uh, conflict was definitely um, part of those situations. And I, I find it interesting. So in the moment when we are in a situation reacting from an emotional place or from a, you know, from a anxiety place or a rational place or whatever it is, or even an intuitive place, um, we start to recognize where we are being triggered. And, you know, that word triggered is thrown around all the time, but really what it is, is a stimulus and a response. And so whatever is stimulating that reaction is an opportunity for us to take a deeper dive into like what the actual feelings are. Uh, at the time, that's not, you know, your go-to, like, what am I feeling? What's going on? Because when we are triggered or when we have a, you know, stimulus that creates a reaction of fear or puts you in that kind of fight or flight place, I go for fight. I do not go for flight initially. Initially, I go for fight and then I go for flight. (laughs) And so it's an opportunity for me to start to recognize, okay, what is the feeling? So in this, you know, conflict situation, I went for fight and then I went to protect myself and um, not from a physical altercation, but from an emotional place. Uh, I talk a lot about the warrior three position or peaceful warrior. And with my clients and, and certainly with people in my life, a lot of times we have been put in positions where the warrior comes out and we have to defend ourselves and we have to, you know, um, either be the person who is the aggressor um, or the person who is defending themselves. And oftentimes, you know, I use the the language of like cutting. So we are going to cut the other person uh, and we're going to be on the offensive or we're going to be on the defensive and we're trying to keep ourselves safe. So I recognize that my conflict style can, is less physical, but more um, cerebral uh, or intellectual and as the empath that I am and recognizing that I work a lot with emotions, I can find the soft and squishy parts and poke them. That is my conflict style. I go for the soft meat every time. Not helpful. 
obviously, if the goal is connection or understanding. But I do recognize that that is something that I do and have done for most of my life. Um, I, you know, very rarely had to defend myself physically, but always will be able to uh, be offensive um, verbally. So in this conflict, um, it was kind of an ongoing situation. It went on for a few days and uh, there was a lot of shutting down. There was a lot of pulling back. What I do recognize is kind of after the fact, as I was processing, I was looking for a villain. I was looking for, you know, somebody to blame or some some way of recognizing that that there was a bad person in this interaction. Bad person is uh, it really looking at that villain perspective of like, there has to be a reason that we are in this position and either you're the villain or I'm the villain. And I don't recognize that that is always true, um, but I do recognize that in my brain, like that was part of how I was processing it. And oftentimes <clears throat> I will take responsibility, probably more responsibility than another person in that kind of conflict situation. Um, I'm working on obviously being kinder to myself. And so in doing so, if I'm trying to be nice to me, then I gotta be mean to you and that's not helpful. Uh, but as I was looking over what I had written um, for conflict in this um, couple's relationship uh, workshop, I was looking at, um, and I'm, I've got it here for me, is really kind of recognizing um, where do we learn our conflict style and what are the thoughts or the processes that go through that? So again, back to this situation, you know, I'm having conflict with another person. When we're in it, we get really myopic or like tunnel vision on what the issue is. What we aren't looking at is the larger picture of meeting the person where they're at. And it's really difficult to do that in the moment. Um, and so when I would work with couples, you know, they'd have a fight earlier in the week or two weeks ago, they'd come in, we'd kind of reprocess it and recontextualize it with that emotional language. So as I continue to step back from these situations, I start to recognize one, there isn't a villain, like nobody's a bad person. There were bad reactions or uh, communication missteps, uh, but it, there's no one's a bad person. And oftentimes when I'm working with clients, you know, we talk about, you know, we feel like terrible people, which is why the asshole in our head is calling out all of our negative stuff. Uh, things that we do badly or we could have done better or whatever it is. And so again, as I'm taking steps back, as I'm grounding in, in who I am and how I show up in the world, how do I recontextualize this conflict in a healthier way so that no one is the bad person, there is no villain, it is, a, it is an interaction between two people where we are not having connection and understanding, but we are creating um, distance or separation. So that was you know kind of where my head was is oftentimes especially for me like i really do work to meet the person where they're whoever it is right whoever i'm in relationship with at the time to meet them where they're at and have an understanding of their perspective um and i and i do that both from curiosity and asking questions but also you know having a um a rich background of understanding for who the other person is that I'm in relationship with. And I do recognize that I have healthy and have had healthy conflict with people in the past uh, that I'm not familial related to, like biologically that, that makes some changes. Um, but with someone who is 
fully independent and capable of seeing all my parts at the same time, we can have a spicy moment where it's like, hey, I'm seeing this behavior or I'm seeing this reaction and I, I don't understand where that's coming from. That's healthy, right? That's a, it's a healthy way of looking at a situation and saying, I'm curious about what that reaction is about. What's helpful for me is it does not trigger my fight or flight. What it triggers is my own awareness and my own curiosity of like, where did that come from? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling hungry? Am I feeling disregarded? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Am I feeling, you know, the list is pretty endless, but recognizing that if someone can see all your parts at the same time and who knows you, they can come in with curiosity and say, that's a, that's a different kind of reaction. Not my favorite. What's going on there? And then you can start to have that awareness for yourself when you're not feeling attacked or, or like you have to defend yourself then you can actually go inside yourself with kindness, with compassion, with patience and say, okay, what is being triggered for me? What, what is happening? When we are in relationship with people who know us well, seeing all of our parts at the same time, we start to create categories and lists of, okay, this happens when this happens. And there's this like linear idea of, um, explicit awareness of your needs or what you um, what you're going through there is an implicit awareness of how we treat other human beings and how we want to be treated we may not say those things out loud and so when we are when I am working on conflict resolution with in teaching skills what I am help helping people do is to have an awareness of their linear expectations and what their needs are and they may not even have that explicit way of putting that together. And what I was just reading a second ago in terms of the definition of implicit needs, they're usually triggered by an emotional circumstance. And so when we think about the different ways that our emotions work, like I get hangry, that's true. I get anxious about a lot of different things. Um, if my body doesn't feel good, I can be reactive. If I'm going into an uncertain situation, I can be reactive. If I have a level of fear or anxiety about whatever it is, I can be reactive. Um, if I'm not, you know, if I'm coming in at a deficit and, you know, earlier in the podcast or at a different podcast, I had talked about living in deprivation. When we live in deprivation and we don't have our needs met, a lot of times we are already reactive. We're already at a five when normally under regular circumstances where all my needs are met, like I'm at a, I'm at a one, I'm at a maybe two just in general. Um, but when my anxiety is triggered and when my fear is triggered and when those negative feelings are pretty on the surface, I can be more reactive than if they're not on the surface. And so this is an opportunity for you to start to think about even just in, in interactions with, you know, people close to you, where your reactions are coming from, where that anger or that resentment has, has been building over time. When we have explicit needs or explicit conversations about this is my expectation of this interaction or this situation, then we are creating some clarity and then people can come and say, I'm curious about why that is the expectation or what that expectation is created for you with or about. Um, I did start to recognize that like in these conversations where I was having conflict, I, had, I hadn't explicitly expressed what my needs were, I hadn't explicitly expressed what my expectations were. 
And a lot of times, and you know, I've shared with you guys before, I struggle with asking for my needs. I will not, this is not a brag. This is not a way for me to say like, look at me, I'm doing a thing. I will probably uh, try to meet my needs in every way possible before I ask someone else for them. And it's not something I'm proud of, especially now. It used There used to be a time where I had a lot of pride about that. Uh, now it's just like, it's not helpful, Stella, to like push yourself to these extreme levels because then my anxiety goes up, because my fear goes up, my feelings of being disregarded or or uh, not being seen, those increase. And every time I do that to push myself to meet my own needs, um, I can be reactive. So those are things to pay attention to when you start to recognize in your you know, communication and conflict style with your partner or whomever you're in relationship with, if you recognize that you are coming from a place of deprivation and not getting your needs met, have you explicitly said what the needs are, right? If you have and the other person can't meet them, you might be shopping at the wrong store. And that's another hard awareness, right? Because we have implicit expectations, um, or covert expectations, or stealthy expectations, that we go into into situations with, hoping that the other person will just know. Uh, when I work with couples, and when I work with clients in general, I have this awareness that they, and they say, like, well, they should just know that. How? How would they know that? You wouldn't go to Starbucks and just be like, hey, it's Stella, you know what I want. Now, there are some places where people know what our needs are. Um, I've gone to restaurants where people know exactly how I like my drink, that I like no straw, you know, the three or five things that I order from the restaurant. Um, But I've gone there several times and I've ordered it out loud several times. And so I say that to clients often is like, if you have an expectation, but you haven't said it out loud, how's the other person going to know? Same is true for me. If I don't say what my need is, the other person isn't going to know. So it is our job to say those things out loud to at least reduce when conflict happens. Now, conflict can happen over time because we're building resentment, right? We're building anger. We are tally marking all the things that we are not doing well or we're not getting met. And then we're going to come at someone from all of that emotion and fire hose them with all of your anger, right? That's where your reaction is coming from. If someone does not pick up their socks, every day for a month and you either walk by them or pick them up or, you know, whatever you're doing, you're holding onto that resentment. And so you're going to have a spicy moment about somebody parked on the wrong side of the garage. And then we're going to talk about the socks. We're going to talk about the bathroom. We're going to talk about you didn't buy the groceries. We're going to talk about all of those things that we've been holding on to. And I have totally been guilty of that before is I'm holding on to all this emotion because I'm not asking for my needs and I'm not expressing what my expectations are. I'm just holding onto the resentment. And then we're going to have a spicy moment and I'm going to lay it out and I'm going to fire hose you with all of those things. Not helpful. So really thinking about how our codependency specifically, when we are doing all of these extra things to make connection and feel connected to the other person and they are not reacting or responding in the way that we expect, we're going to be angry about it. We're going to be reactive about it. We're going to hold on to it and then fire hose you with everything and probably have a much spicier conversation than if I just said, hey, 
I walked by your socks twice this week. Can you pick them up? Sure. I didn't realize that I had left my socks out, right? But it's an opportunity to start to recognize where in your body you're building your resentment, where you can set a boundary, where you can say, I don't really like it when this happens. Now, I will tell you, I am not the best at it. With certain relationships where I can feel vulnerable and I say the things, that's an opportunity for me to be able to say, yeah, I really didn't like it or that's not my favorite when this thing happened. Um, Also, when my expectations are nothing or at least very, very low and I recognize that I am going to this store to get this thing, this need met, then I I cannot be, well, it's not helpful for me to be upset about a thing if I'm going to the wrong store or I'm not, that's not a person I can get that need from. So I am recognizing now that (laughs) it's still really important for me to ask for my needs and it's still really important for me to say expectations out loud in an explicit way so that people understand if this happens, this happens, this happens, right? I love this idea of like linear thinking and not everyone is a linear thinker, but if A happens, B happens, C will happen nine times out of 10. And so when we can create that predictive behavior and recognize that people are going to have an off day or they're dealing with other things in their own head or I'm not sure what's going on. This feels really charged. Can you tell me where where you are emotionally or where your anxiety is or what is the expectation of the situation? Opportunity for connection and understanding rather than having conflict. Conflict is normal. People have different perspectives, people have different experiences, people have different expectations. And so when we can say that out loud from a place of vulnerability and safety, then we are not taking care of their feelings. We are not managing what's going on for them, but we are coming in from a place of understanding. I say all that to say this, it is not easy, right? And if we did not grow up with a healthy model of conflict, we're going to do it the way that was modeled for us. For me, it's reactive and run away. So I do both. I am working on not doing that. But those are very ingrained behaviors that take actual conscious thought to shift and change. That said, I recognize that when I go into any situation to um, avoid creating uncomfortable feelings, then I am not truly coming in 100% open and vulnerable from that peaceful warrior perspective. I have a whole arsenal that I can cut you with. If I just come in open and vulnerable, even though that's hard and scary for me, I will have more like I will more likely have an opportunity to connect with someone. I will more likely have an opportunity to see all of their parts at the same time. And if there's something I don't understand, I can ask a question from curiosity rather than from a place of judgment or reactivity. And it's not easy. It it is a constant practice to do that both with another person and with myself as I step back from spicy moments or moments of conflict and then recognize, is this a person I want to have a relationship with and how do I get to that place? That's the place that's hard is that oftentimes we want so badly to create connection. We want so badly to create um, understanding And yet I'm coming from my own perspective of damage or frustration or anger or hunger or lack of sleep or anxiety or whatever it is. And so I have to be self-aware enough to say, 
I'm really coming at a deficit right now. And so I'd really like to have an understanding of like what your expectation of the situation is. There have been times when I can do that, when my head is clear and I feel safe, safe and stable and, you know, open and receiving, I can come into a space and say, you know, with curiosity, tell me what your capacity is and how do we understand and fix this? How do we problem solve together to get to a place that is connect, creating connection and understanding rather than coming from a place of reaction and my own feelings and all the things. It is not, um, it's not possible. And I've, I've seen myself do it. Um, and I've seen other people do it. And I do recognize that if we can continue to come from a place of like, I'm not trying to control or manage your feelings, I'm trying to come from a place of understanding so that we can continue to work on this relationship together, then you can create that level of communication to build connection and understanding. If you're coming already defensive or angry or frustrated and all you see is red, it's going to be a lot more challenging to work through the conflict to that problem-solving place. When we're holding on to resentment, when we're holding on to anger, when we're holding on to hard, hurt feelings, a lot of times we're going to come in defensive and we're going to come in guns blazing. I will come to cut you. And that will not be helpful because when we are cut or when we have been cut in the past, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to run away. I'm going to not say the things because I don't feel safe doing that. And then I create more space between us rather than connection. So that is your nugget and our time. I wanted to let you know that the, um, the workshop for codependency skills for July is on the 15th. It is a Saturday at 10 a.m. There are spaces limited, so please uh, reach out to me and let me know if you'd like to attend. Um, I will get to a place where I either take the show on the road or I can do it uh, virtually. We're not there yet, but we are getting there very quickly. Um, talk to the publisher today. Hopefully, uh, I will be able to submit the manuscript and then the timeline will start to get the book published, which is really exciting. Um, I am working on conflict every day. I am trying to be the best version of myself. Not easy when, you know, safety and security and all of those other emotions are happening. So I am super grateful for the people in my life who see that and don't see it as weakness, but recognize it's a vulnerability and then can meet me where I'm at. Um, I have you know, really great people in my life who see me, which is amazing. And I am working on being kind and um, giving myself grace and being patient with my own growth because it is ongoing. It is not something that I just wake up one day and I'm better. Like that's some days I feel better, um, but most days it's a process and a practice. So I want you to give yourselves grace as you are continuing to work on these skills and integrating new ways of being into your everyday life. Our old programming is there. It's always going to be there. If you can put it on the shelf and not go, you know, to the weapons and find that peaceful warrior, it's a lot easier to get through the day. That's your nugget. I'm going to end the video and then I'll end the podcast and I will talk to you next week. Take care. All right. The video is ended and I am ending the podcast again. LX2 Codependency Coaching. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I did want to shout out to uh, Idaho because you are doing a thing and listening quite a lot, actually. Um, you've beat out North Carolina. Utah is coming up, kind of creeping in there. 
Um, thank you to my friends in California, in Rhode Island, in Connecticut, uh, Pennsylvania, all over the place. We are hap- this happening. Like LX2 Codependency Coaching is a podcast that is taking off and doing a thing. So grateful for all of you for listening. If you want to reach me, lx2.cod.coach at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, uh, t- uh, TikTok, and Facebook. I'll talk to you soon.